Welcome to Cosmic Scene with Jill Jardine. I'm your host, Jill Jardine, Masters in Counseling Psychology, longtime astrologer, psychic healer, and yogi. In this episode, my guest is Dr. Alexi Martel. Alexi is a professor in psychology, a Vedic astrologer, and Sanskrit mantra instructor. Stay tuned to see what he says about the Vedic planets and what's happening. Welcome to the episode featuring my guest, Dr. Alexi Martel. Alexi has a PhD in psychology from the University of Texas, Austin. He is a professor of psychology in Austin. He's been studying Vedic astrology for several years, and he is a Vedic astrologer certified. He is also a Sanskrit mantra instructor. Alexi is a second-generation astrologer, the first generation being his mother, Jill Jardine. Alexi has a lot to share with us today in the podcast about Vedic astrology and Sanskrit, so listen up. Welcome, Alexi. So glad to have you here on the show. We're excited to hear what you have to say about Vedic astrology and about Sanskrit mantras and your journey. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are and your professor in psychology? Sure. So thank you so much for having me on this podcast, Mom. It's great to see see what you do and uh, your natural habitat here. Yeah. So I obviously, as your son, I've been around uh, astrology my entire life. I've also been studied psychology firsthand from you and seeing how you work with your clients. Um, but I professionally studied psychology starting as an undergraduate at UMass Amherst. Um, and then I got my PhD at UT Austin. Uh, at the same time, I was studying psychology through the conventional uh, you know, scientific empirical methods. I also was uh, studying Vedic astrology. And I've been focusing on that intensely uh, for the past five years now. Uh, in my free time, focusing on Vedic astrology and sort of the psychology behind that, what the planets and the archetypes are t- telling us about our, our inner selves uh, and our journey through this world and how uh, the changing tides and elements of the seasons and of the, the planetary energies affect us personally. Yes, and you grew up with a mother who was a Western astrologer who's now does Vedic astrology, but what led you to, what is it about the Vedic teachings? It seems like you had an inclination to that when you were younger, and you did have great teachers as well of both astrology and of Sanskrit mantra. How is it that this integrates into your life for you and how you help your clients? Yeah, so the reason I focused on the Vedic uh, or the Eastern astrology approach as opposed to the uh, the tropical or Western astrology approach is because uh, my original focus was Sanskrit mantras. I was certified as a reverend in the Sanatana Dharma Satsang. Uh, and so since I came from a background already steeped in Vedic culture and the tradition of Sanskrit mantras, it made sense to then go with the astrology system that naturally corresponds to that. Uh, the Western system, I understand, is very valuable for learning about our, our inner self and our, you know, the, the forces affecting us and timing of things. The beauty of the Eastern system is, in addition to that, it also offers remedies from the Vedic tradition, and mantras are one of the chief remedies. Of course, also uh, certain crystals or certain uh, practices or rituals can can remedy challenging situations. And I've always liked that approach, that it's sort of a remedy-first approach to uh, to counseling people with astrology, instead of just saying, oh, well, you've got a tough Saturn cycle coming up, so you know, good luck, batten down the hatches, and pray goes smoothly. We can actually offer concentrated Sanskrit syllables that provide relief and help things go smoothly. 
That's right. With Western astrology, a lot of times astrologers will give the transits or their predictions based on where the planetary action is. But, you know, a lot of times they don't give a remedial measure to mitigate the effects of, let's say, a Saturn transit. The other thing is that when people have been coming to you for readings, clients, what is it that they usually are looking for out of a Vedic astrology reading and how do you help them? Well, I was trained by various people. I was also trained by uh, teachers in in, uh, Austin. Uh, One teacher told me that the thing that most clients are looking for uh, in a reading is advice on money or honey, that being uh, their financial situation or work um, and their romantic situation. And these are very common things that people seek guidance for. And there are Sanskrit mantra remedies to sort of help enhance these areas of people's lives. And the beauty of the Sanskrit mantra tradition is that uh, in addition to any sort of maybe material benefits you might be receiving from, say, like a prosperity uh, Lakshmi mantra, it also enriches your spiritual journey. So whether someone comes seeking um, help with their material life or their spiritual development, the remedies in the Sanskrit mantras are, are good for balancing and amplifying the positive effects of both. And so that those are sort of the common things people do come for you know, practical advice, career, timing of events, when to expect situations to change. But sometimes they do come and look for a more focused sort of what's my soul, soul's purpose for being here in this incarnation? Why, you know, why am I here? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to f- fulfill my higher sense of, you know, dharma and responsibility of life on earth? And, and looking at the Vedic chart, you can see a essentially a karmic uh, roadmap of, of their, their life and sort of how the energies that were imprinted on them upon birth that are sort of the, the, the watermark of their, their karma they inherited in this life. And from there, you can then advise them how to best work with that karma and deal with it, practically taking what, you know, steps to deal with it, but also offering them remedies and, and energetic uh, sources of uh, healing and insight. Yeah, and when you say the word karma from the Vedic perspective, listeners need to know that's not necessarily punitive. How would mm. you describe karma in the Vedic astrological tradition? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, karma essentially means action. Uh, in the Vedic tradition, The most one of the most literal translations is action. And so karma can be thought of as the sort of the results of any action. Um, a simple way to think of it is sort of like the laws of physics. If you hit a wall with your, your, your fist, it hits back, right? You feel the impact of the wall. So it's literally your action comes back to you immediately. And that would be, you could say, instant karma, right? But any action we take in our lives, uh, in this or in previous lifetimes, uh, if, you, if you believe in that, uh, essentially comes back to you, it ripples back to you. And so sort of intention is a very powerful uh, direction that determines sort of what comes back to us and how it comes back to us. So karma can be good or bad from the perspective of the ego, I like to think of it more as like, you know, challenging or joyful. Um, But, you know, sometimes it's important to find the joy in the challenges and also the discipline in the joyful times, right? Because, yeah, we want to balance. But yeah, karma, karma does not have to be punitive. Certain karmic influences like Saturn might feel like that, but certain uplifting influences like Jupiter or Venus feel just fun and joyful. And you don't realize, oh, you are also experiencing karma. It's just the fruits of good past action. Some benefits from previous actions. So a lot of listeners may not know the difference between the Vedic system or also called Jyotish, the science of light, and the Western or tropical system. But there's several differences, including the dasha or cycles, the lack of outer planets, the influence of the nodes of the moon. Could you please share some of that with the listeners? Sure. So um, the primary influence, there's a number of differences, but the primary one 
is uh, the Vedic approach is more of a lunar-focused approach, whereas the Western is more of a solar focus. So when people say, oh, you know, what's your zodiac sign? What's your, your forecast? They're often talking about your sun sign, which is based on the month you were born in. Where in the Eastern approach in India, they typically look at your moon sign. Um, and they, in addition to the, the typical signs that we that both systems share, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, and so forth. Twelve zodiac the signs. The twelve zodiac signs, exactly. They both share that. But the Eastern system also includes 27 lunar signs called nakshatras. And there are two and a half of those within each of the standard uh, solar signs. So, for example, there's in the sign of Aries, um, that solar sign, there's the lunar mansions of Ashwini, Barani, and Kritika. And those are also affected and ruled by different planets and different energies. So it adds a subtle, a subtler psychological nuance to it. Also based on the nakshatra system is what's called the dasha system. And so both systems share the idea of planetary transits. When planets move through certain signs, they impact certain parts of people's charts. And if they transit over their birth planets, the, where they're placed in their birth chart, those, those influences will be felt more strongly. But the dasha system is even more personal to the individual in that each person is running a different planetary dasha. Uh, in the Vedic system, there are there are nine major planets uh, as opposed to the Western where I believe there are 12. Uh, Ten. Ten, okay. Yeah, I'm trained only as a Vedic astrologer, but fair enough. The Eastern system considers the, the luminaries, the celestial uh, luminaries, so the sun and the moon are considered planets in their system. Uh, the five closest planets to the sun, not counting Earth, actual astronomical planets, so... Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And so in addition to the, the, two, the two luminaries, Sun and Moon, and those five physical planets, there's also the what's called the lunar nodes, Rahu and Ketu. And those are the points in space where eclipses can happen. When they align with the Sun or the Moon, you can have a solar or lunar eclipse. And these, are, these energies are considered very psychologically impactful on the individual and indeed on the world and society. So I would say those are three three main differences between uh, Vedic and uh, Western astrology: the the lunar focus system, the dashas for timing the system, and the planets that are regarded as important to the system. Right, the, and the dashas is more of a cyclical, like the cycle. It depends on which planet is ruling the dasha. What your experiences might be during those years of time, which can be anywhere from seven to twenty mm-hmm. year dashas, That's right. and then the nodes of the moon, which are called Rahu and Ketu. Mm-hmm. in the Vedic, tend to have pretty intense implications as opposed to the way they're viewed in most Western astrology. Do you have something to tell us a little bit about Rahu and Ketu? They're considered the karmic axis. I know you're very familiar with, with them because you're a psychologist and you study psychology, and they are points in an astrological chart that can kind of indicate some psychological influence on the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, everything you said is it's right on the money. And Rahu K2, I saw one metaphor I've heard that I really like is if you think of the the seven other planets, so the sun and the moon and the five you know physical planets as beads on a necklace, Rahu and K2 are the string that connects them. Um, or another way to see it is each lifetime if you believe in the Vedic system, there are you know a series of reincarnations. We have karma not just from our actions in this life, but from countless previous lifetimes and perhaps countless future lifetimes. Each lifetime can be considered its own bead on the string, and Rahu Ketu is the string that connects them. So what that means is, in some ways, these planets are the... If the other planets are sort of the what of our incarnation, in, in other words, the details of our our birth family circumstances, our, our innate skills, our innate you know health weaknesses or challenges... Um, you know, all the circumstances of our life, 
the Rahu Ketu lunar uh, lunar node energy is the, the why, why we are having this life. Beyond the what the details are of the life, why are we here? What is the purpose of this current incarnation? What karma is the, the main thing we're here to deal with? And those energies are kind of considered opposite, but they're also connected intimately. And it's a whole mythological story I won't get into right now. But certainly I would say if someone is interested in looking more into the study of Rahu Ketu, I would recommend looking into a, a book written by Camilla Sutton. Uh, she's written really, very eloquently a book on, um, I believe it's called The Lunar Nodes. Uh, there's a subtitle, I forget. But yeah, she she's an expert in that as well. But it's a, it's a whole area of study in their own right, sort of the deeper psychological reasons and soul spiritual reasons why we are having the lifetime we're having. Let's take a quick break. Hey guys, this is your girl Lira, and you're listening to Self-Reflection Podcast. Thank you guys for joining me on another episode of Self-Reflection Podcast. I hope this podcast episode finds you in the best possible state that you can be in for yourself today. Um, you know, and if you're not doing your best, I hope, you know, you find some time to care for your mental health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, and your psychological health. You know, I hope you find some time to do some self-reflection. Um, just gather yourself and, you know, find the best possible way you can deal with what you're dealing with in this moment, right? Which then brings us to the point that's a big focus in Vedic astrology is mm -hmm. it's the astrology of the soul and the soul's journey and where the soul was before it incarnated, situations upon the incarnation, past life gifts, challenges, when they will open up certain gifts or talents, when certain challenges will present themselves. It's the whole science of divine timing or the name Jyotish meaning divine light. And it's through understanding the light of our soul that we can better navigate through this life. And that's exactly what a Vedic astrology reading does. Can you illuminate us more on that process? Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, the, the, the goal of a Vedic astrologer is to act as a guide um, for the individual to help sort of them connect with their higher self or their soul, uh, connect their conscious ego ego mind personality, which is how typically we all see the world most days and, you know, impacts how we, you know, what we give priority to and what matters. Uh, the, the goal of a good Vedic astrologer is to act as the, the sort of connect a person with their own inner guide so that they can sort of know when to time their lives appropriately, right? It's a very, it is a timing-based system, study of time, um, as opposed to other Vedic systems like uh, Vastu, uh, would be like the study of space, right? Which would be equivalent in, um, I believe, Chinese culture would be feng shui, right? So there's right. different, there's the study of space. Uh, you can see astrology is the study of time and timing. So knowing sort of when is a good time in your life that, you know, to make hay while the sun shines and, and sort of apply yourself and sort of really, you know, work hard or when's a good time to enjoy the fruits of your labor and sort of relax and, and make the best of what you've already done. And the thing is, we may feel a mismatch between what we want to do and when it's an appropriate time for us to do. So the beauty of Vedic astrology and hopefully the actions of a skilled Vedic astrologer is they can point you, okay, this is a time for this and this is a better time for that. And, you know, the whole, like the song by the birds, like to everything there's a season. So turn, 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 turn. Exactly. My guest is Dr. Alexi Martel. If you're interested in booking a reading with him, you can email him directly to Alexi, A-L-E-X-I, Martel, M-A-R-T-E-L at gmail.com. When we come back, we'll talk about what those Vedic planets are doing 
in the latter part of 2023, September through December, and maybe even into 2024. So stay tuned. Have you ever wanted to study astrology? Do you know what your sole purpose is? Do you know what your gifts, talents, strengths, and weaknesses are? Do you want to find out? Everybody's talking about their chart. Now you can too. I'm offering a six-module astrology course coming up in October 2023. You can go on my website, jilljardineastrology.com, and register on my astrology course and join the Cosmic Party. Welcome back. My guest is Dr. Alexi Martel, Vedic Astrologer. Lexi, tell us a little bit about what is going on with the Vedic planets as we go through the end of 2023, September through December into early 2024. I guess I'm looking at the transits of Jupiter, Saturn, Rahu Ketu, and the Vedic tradition. Sure. Yeah. So the first thing on the docket, I would say, is Jupiter would retrograde on September 4th, 2023. Uh, and so when that happens, the planetary energy associated with Jupiter will start moving backwards uh, relative to Earth from our perspective. And so what that means for us, uh, Jupiter is uh, essentially the planet of good luck, blessings. It sort of it represents the karma of good past actions, sort of righteous behavior, kindness, benevolence, all the good things uh, that we've done in previous lifetimes. And so from our perspective, uh, you could see Jupiter as the cosmic Santa Claus, where he's very jolly, very, you know, benevolent energy comes in, brings in good tidings, you know, money, relationships, happiness, spiritual development and growth, all the things people want in life. Um, so when he moves backwards, when any planet retrogrades, it sort of is a retracing of steps. Uh, what going... sign will that be in, in the Vedic tradition? So in the Vedic tradition, that will be in the sign of Aries, where Jupiter okay. has been since May of this year, and where Jupiter will be until at roughly May of next year. Okay. So it will move backwards with Aries, and then it will go direct and start moving forwards again. So when a, a planet moves backwards, it's sort of a retracing of our previous few months, sort of when it was moving forwards, between when it moves forward to when it moves backwards, sort of the, the shadow of the retrograde, you could call it. It was an area that we may have moved through somewhat quickly, but now we have to come back and reevaluate. So Jupiter being in Aries, uh, it's sort of the, the, the our attitude towards ourself, the higher higher aspects of ourself, you know, Jupiter bringing in blessings, and Aries being the natural first house of self and identity. Now, how, how that affects a person individually also depends a lot on their own chart. Uh, for example, if you're ascendant or your rising sign is in Aries and it will indeed be your house of self. But if it were say in uh, if your ascendant or rising sign were Libra, then it would be your seventh house of other or relationships. So really you want to look at where your ascendant is. Um, in the Vedic system, when we look at transits, we look at two things. We look at where your rising sign is, also known as your ascendant or your first house. And influences from that perspective affect your physical body, your health, circumstances or the external things. But in the Vedic tradition, we also consider the moon to be incredibly important. The moon represents the mind. And so where your moon is in your birth chart, your natal moon, we also look at transits from that perspective. Because sometimes things can be going very smoothly circumstantially, but our mind might be agitated and we're not enjoying it. Or vice versa, we could be going through some challenging times, but where our mind is in a good place, we're able to sort of roll along with it. So, yeah, coming up, that will be a sort of a reevaluation maybe of like, what opportunities are worth pursuing? What blessings? What are the true blessings in our life? What is perhaps a deceptive, you know, false opportunity? It, certainly, Jupiter has been with the North Node Rahu for uh, some time since uh, Rahu's been in Aries, but since Jupiter went into Aries, I believe in May, 
well, early April, but became close to Rahu, conjunct Rahu in May. And Rahu is sort of the anti-guru. Jupiter is the guru. So Jupiter gives us guidance by our divine self. Rahu, the north node of the moon, wants us to sort of achieve materially, is very, you know, you know, living in a material world, and it is a material girl, so to speak. And so Rahu's influence on Jupiter can be somewhat deceptive. Um, and I think there'll be a, a sort of realiz- realizing, if people haven't already, during Jupiter retrograde, that not all that glitters is gold, to use a phrase from Tolkien, um, in the sense that not every opportunity is worth pursuing. Some some things that may have arisen during this Rahu-Jupiter conjunction and Aries, them being together, might be deceptive. So the, the Jupiter retrograde cycle goes from September through December. What is going to happen when it goes direct? So when it goes direct, it'll start moving forward again uh, and going sort of, once again, retracing the retrograde shadow, the point where it had gone backwards. And then we'll sort of see clearly what uh, what opportunities we want to go for, what things are worth eliminating from our lives and sort of where we want to focus our positive inspirational energy. I will also want to mention that to boot, uh, I've mentioned that Rahu is with Jupiter and Aries, but Rahu itself will retrograde out of Aries. Rahu and Ketu always move retrograde. Lunar nodes always move backwards, but it'll be leaving the sign of Aries in October. Actually, right around Halloween, October, October 30th, Rahu will retrograde into Pisces and leave Aries. And so the influence of, of Rahu will be now gone from Jupiter, even though Jupiter will still be retrograding in Aries. Uh, in some sense, Jupiter, the cosmic Santa Claus, will be more free to do his good work just in time for the Christmas season, actually. So it it works out nicely like that. Yeah, so for the collective then, where we've had Jupiter going through Aries, Rahu going through Aries, Aries is sort of a warlike sign or more aggressive. Do you think when Rahu goes into Pisces, things might calm down a little bit and everybody's seeking liberation, which is a Pisces indication? What do you think like collectively might be happening with these Aries planets for the next couple months? Well, I sure hope so. Um, but I will say... The heavy influence in Aries, and also there's been a heavy influence in Leo lately as well. Two very fiery signs. What have we had but the hottest summer on record, I believe in history now, across the world. So uh, that fiery energy will hopefully start to abate. I mean, we can all hope it will have cooled down by October 30th. But all that fiery Aries influence um, has, as you mentioned, made people sort of more psychologically warlike as well, that heavy Mars energy. So... Yes, I think that Rahu moving into Jupiter will bring in more of that sort of cooling Piscean energy. Uh, it is associated Pisces with liberation and spiritual development, but of course, that how it manifests for an individual really depends on their own personal development. So for some people, it might bring in a uh, sort of spiritual inflow and insight. For other people, it might just bring sort of good luck or you know happy, happier relationship opportunities or addictive tendencies. Pisces also rules addictions. So. That is the shadow side of Pisces, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you know Rahu being the shadow planet can bring out the darker sides of of whatever sign or energy it's associated with. So it can that could be a factor. So well. if Rahu is going to be transitioning into Pisces at the end of October, that means that K2, the south node of the moon, is going into Virgo, which is a sign of health and healing. That's right. So do you think there might be more focus collectively on different modes of healing, maybe new healing technologies coming in, maybe reassessing how certain pandemic and other collective health issues affected everybody and what what could be done differently? That that may indeed happen. I mean, Virgo, as you mentioned, is a sign of health and healing. Uh, K2 is also associated with the past, whereas Rahu is associated with the future. So sometimes there is a looking backward sort of 
what can we learn from what's already happened with the K2 Ketuvic energy when it moves to a place? Uh, the other thing is K2 sort of is about letting go, whereas the Rahuvic energy is about embracing. So there might be people might find um, people or maybe even societies might find sort of this is a good time to let go of the behaviors, the diets, the you know, medications, things that no longer serve us and therefore become healthier through eliminating the things that are unwholesome or unhealthy as opposed to just adding more things to make us healthier. That's a great point. So looking at what truly works, Virgo likes to get to the point and likes to eliminate and discriminate to cut the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. So yeah, this will be interesting. And then the lunar nodes go for 18 months at a time. So if we see this transition going at the end of October 2023, so 18 months out would take us to about May of 2025. That sounds sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And then they'll move into Aquarius. Right. So there'll be some big shifts going on whenever the lunar nodes change signs. So we'll be seeing some big changes in society and collectively around the end of October and November. We didn't talk about our friend Shani, Saturn, the mm. transits of Saturn in the coming month. What is happening? So interestingly enough, right after... Um, Rahu's transition the day before Halloween on October 30th into Pisces, Saturn the day before the Dios de la Muertes on November 4th, Saturn will go direct. Uh, and now Saturn has been retrograding in its own sign Aquarius uh, for some time now, um, I believe since roughly May, but now it's going to be moving forward. So this is sort of the opposite of whereas Jupiter is retracing its steps, sort of learning from its recent actions and behavior, our, you know, our recent actions and behaviors in the Jupiterian archetype. Saturn will be now moving forward, having already retraced its steps. And so Aquarius is a sign of um, the collective, sort of the collective consciousness. It's associated with uh, reaching for uh, higher ideals politically and socially. Uh, as best, it can be sort of a reaching for, you know, a more just and fair society and a freer, more, you know, democratic uh, world, basically, where people can, you know, everyone has equal rights and societies thrive. But at its worst, Aquarius can kind of scatter its energies and sort of focus its, let's say, political or other pursuits on more niche causes that aren't the greatest um, advancement for the collective. So I think maybe uh, Saturn moving forward in Aquarius will help people sort of people and societies realize, OK, what is working socially? You know, what is making our society stronger and, and healthier and what isn't working? Maybe like what media influences or political practices or, you know, focusing attention on certain issues, maybe like what has not been what has been a divisive force. And I think hopefully with Saturn moving forward, it'll help people sort of identify like what what is what will bring us back to unity consciousness and exactly. what will move us forward. That's exactly. what I was saying. It's very interesting with the United States coming into an election year in 2024 with Saturn moving through Aquarius, the sign of unity consciousness and what's best for the group and not necessarily maybe niche followings or more specific groups or interests. So Saturn going forward in Aquarius during the election year, I think should be very beneficial. Lexi, you told us about all the transits of the outer planets during 2023 into 2024. Now with something like a Jupiter retrograde, we have remedies in the form of Sanskrit mantras. And I know that you've been chanting Sanskrit since you were a teenager. What would be a good go-to mantra to help with that Jupiter retrograde. Mm. Uh, and of course I want you to lead us in it, but tell us what your what your thinking is on a good Jupiter mantra to help with the retrograde, a good mantra to help with the Jupiter retrograde. And 
teach it to us and chant it a few times. Okay, sure. I mean, I, I'd like to recommend a mantra that's general for Jupiter, Rahu, and Saturn, as often mantras associated with this energy are given as remedies for any or all three. And that would be Shiva mantras, Shiva being the, uh, the archetypal principle of consciousness, awareness, being in bliss, sort of the source of our awareness within ourselves as individuals and collectively. So I think a great Shiva mantra that's very easy to say and very widely useful is Om Namah Shivaya, as this will help with Jupiter, Saturn, and the lunar nodes, Rahu and Ketu, as well as the energy Om Namah Shivaya. Each of the syllables is associated with one of the uh, elements ruling the, the chakras in, this, in the subtle body. So when you say Om Namah Shivaya, you circulate from the earth, water, fire, air, ether, and mind elements, uh, chakras, the major chakras one uh, through six along the subtle body, you're moving energy through your system and thereby sort of bringing in more consciousness, more higher consciousness, elevating your awareness, and also helping with material issues, health issues, you know, any sort of thing that's blocked in your in your in your body. Because essentially, we want our energy to be flowing physically. Of course, we want exercise and proper diet, but also we want our subtle body energy to be flowing and our spiritual energy to be flowing. So, Om Namah Shivaya is a very powerful mantra because it it, it moves the energy and helps it flow naturally. Well, let's hear it. Om Namah Shivaya, 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 Om Namah Shivaya. Beautiful. And maybe we can go out on a mantra that will give blessings of abundance and help with the planet Venus. Okay, sure. Um, we could say a Lakshmi mantra. That would be great. Okay. Um, let's say Om Shreem Mahalakshmiye Namaha. 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 Thank you. My guest has been Dr. Alexi Martel, sharing his wisdom on Vedic astrology and Sanskrit mantras. You can reach him at aleximartel at gmail.com to book a session. Thank you for being on the episode today, Alexi. Thank you so much for having me, Mom. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode featuring my guest, Dr. Alexi Martel. Remember to download, share, subscribe, and give us a five-star review. This is Cosmic Scene with Jill Jardine signing out. 
sending healing Vedic vibrations through the quantum field. Ah.